Hey everyone, welcome back to the Bitcoin OPUX UI podcast. I'm your host Pedro. I'm a Bitcoiner and designer and I'm always looking to talk to interesting people in the Bitcoin and design space. For this episode, I had the pleasure to talk to Easy. Easy has been contributing on the Seed Signer project as a designer and we talked about how better design can help advance Bitcoin adoption, how learnings from legacy finance projects can inform Bitcoin projects, and what's it like to collaborate with devoted engineers on open source projects. Hope you like it. Hello, Easy. Nice to have you here. Thank you so much for joining us. How's everything? Hi, Pedro. Yeah, pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Doing well. Yeah, great. So uh, I've been very interested in Seed Signer, the, the product that you've been uh, helping build. And I've been trying to, to use it in multiple ways, trying to build it myself and also trying to buy the, the pre-made one, comparing the process and decided to, it was time to, to get it in touch with someone from the team and from the project and understand how it is that the, the project is evolving and talk a little bit about it in the design front. So I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit how you got started in the project, but also how you got started in Bitcoin and share a little bit of your journey in the design and Bitcoin world. Sure, absolutely. Um, so. Yeah, I'm uh, really just contributing to Seed Signer in a design capacity. Um, you know, I joined Bitcoin. Well, I've been following Bitcoin for quite a while. I only joined the really the the community around 2020, and that's that's kind of when I found uh, Seed Signer's project. So, I was really captivated by that. Um, I come from a, a UX design uh, background, really digital product design. So, a lot of UI UX work, some visual design, kind of lots of different stuff, kind of from startups um, all the way to uh, legacy finance. So done some work kind of all over. Um, yeah, really, you know, my background in Bitcoin and with Seed Signer, found the project in 2020, um, attended Bitcoin 2021, where Seed Signer was giving a demo. Um, uh, and his demo was really incredible. You know, um, he really had this way of breaking down um, the whole process of, of Bitcoin storage. And um, just all the all the steps in a transaction and in the storage. So, um, you know that really made multisig click for me. I think it does for a lot of people. There's something special about about the Seed Signer project. My wife was actually there, and she um, she was able to understand multisig with basically no exposure to Bitcoin, which is pretty incredible. So, um, yeah, I think I think what it was actually about that demo was the his mental model, the Seed Signer mental model. It kind of distinguishes the wallet coordinator, the signing device, and the private key storage. So um, you'll hear him talk about a lot of that on podcasts. Um, I think that's really a key distinction there. So really what Seed Signer is, uh, you know, is a, is a DIY air-gapped stateless signing device. So there's a lot of adjectives in there, but I can break mm -hmm. it down. For yeah. yeah, maybe just to, before we jump into the, to the actual device itself, I, I was wondering if you... At the time uh, when you met with um, with Seed Signer and saw the demo, were you looking for projects to look to work on, or was this something that you saw and you thought, "Oh, I need to find a way to to contribute"? How how was the kind of the journey into the the project itself? Oh yeah, yeah, good question. So um, I should maybe say, so I, I've worked for a lot of kind of tech startups, proprietary interface design. So um, 
and then I, I guess when I when I came into Bitcoin and started working more heavily on kind of my own projects, I was mostly doing wallet design work, um, some other stuff too. But I was especially focused on seeing how I could kind of design a, a more simplified wallet UI. Um, so when I found his project and, and multisig kind of clicked, um, I think um, what was appealing for me was just a really unique form factor, right? It's like a very specific, if you've seen it, it's a really specific kind of 240 by 240 pixel display and it's mm -hmm. one point inches big. So when I saw that, that kind of made me drop everything I was doing. And, and you know, to your point, yeah, I was, I was looking for projects um, and I just kept following uh, his account, his, his Twitter account and, and where the project was heading. And I thought, let me try to put together kind of a, a proof of concept or a prototype, a digital one, um, to see if I could cram kind of a modern UI onto this tiny little display. So that's kind of how it started for me. Yeah, that's that's really awesome. It's um, it's interesting. It's uh, very similar to a lot of other uh, designers' experience in Bitcoin projects. It's usually we don't. I don't usually see a lot of designers applying for a position or something. They usually send the proof of concept first and say, hey, this is what I've done. This is the work. And do we want to implement this together? And I think it's great because you give the kind of the more engineering side of the the, the project uh, a visual grasp of what the interface could be. And usually engineers are not really focused on the design so much and when a designer enters after the project the product is already a little bit developed that's the that varnish layer that's added on top that just makes the the product already kind of much more accessible to the wider public so yeah it's it's great that you did you did you enter uh, did you have any contact at all before you sent or start working on the design proposal or the proof of concept, or is, was this something that you thought I'm going to do it either way, even if they don't accept it? Yeah, yeah, I think the timing was right. So I had, I had had some communication with with Seed Signer, the person um, before Bitcoin 21. Um, when I saw him there, and we kind of talked afterward, I think we just kind of hit it off a little bit. Um, I think the timing was just right for the project. You know, um, he had created his proof of concept with the hardware and the initial software, um, and then. A couple engineers had just come on, you know, Nick and, and Keith. I think Keith had just joined to kind of uh, just renovate the code base and update everything. So I think the timing was just right. And I thought, yeah, I'm going to do this for myself and I'm going to share it with the community. And and I posted it in the in the Telegram chat and it had a really good reception. So that's what kind of led uh, Seed Signer to ask me to create um, an issue on the GitHub. And I kind of there just detailed at a really high level a design proposal. So what are the design goals? Um, what would this this UI redesign feature? What would it do for the for the customer for the user? Um, and then just from from there, it kind of expanded out over the course of several months. Yeah, that's amazing. It's it's great to to see other designers just uh, join in, take initiative, and just propose things. Sometimes even if unsolicited, because not everybody knows what they need until they actually see it. And I think. Uh, designers have this really amazing skill of being able to translate uh, a journey or a flow into into something visually appealing, but also a clickable prototype can make, even if it's just like 10% of the experience, uh, it can make something look real, even if it's not, and it can open so many doors. And I, I imagine, have you, have you done a lot of 
work on the UX part or are you just doing straight up uh, like skinning the UX? Are you contributing in trying to make the journey and uh, reaching certain parts of the of the application more accessible or are you just trying to to do like the layer, the visual layer? Yeah, so I mean, I really look at it holistically. I come from a, I guess from a UX and UI, you could say background, but really digital product design, right? So the design role nowadays, it's evolved since the start of my career, but um, if you're a product designer in a company now, you're kind of expected to do everything, right? Some visual mm -hmm. design, interaction design, um, user research, kind of the, the whole deal. So, um, so that's the lens I brought um, to the project. Um, you know, and and to kind of to your, your earlier insight, you know, I think um, it's great to just come in and contribute to any project as a designer. I think that's the way to do it. I think designers do have a unique perspective, especially with Bitcoin, because it's still early days and it's seeing problems through the eyes of the user is just so important. And so that having that that skill or that background, I think, is is critical. And um, and, and so what that involved in this, yeah, was was really looking at the whole user experience from a, from a. Uh, a software perspective, right? Not so much the hardware. So, um, so really, that was me just saying, how can we re rework the flows, the menu information architecture, right? The IA, you know, visual design, so labels, iconography, really all of that, you know. So I think there's, from my perspective, you know, how can we get more people excited about this project? I mean, I just saw the potential there um, when Seed Signer demoed it. I thought, wow, this is this is really something. You know, you can build your own signing device for under fifty dollars. It can do so much already. Just imagine how much it can do if we can just fit a you know a more beautiful functional interface on it. So, um, so yeah, that's really where I came from. If we make it attractive enough, I think that'll draw in more people, right? But also, it'll just make it more functional. So, in terms of UX, like you said, user flows. Um, how can we kind of optimize them? How can we put like an interaction model? Like for example, the interaction model change I propose and work with with Nick and Keith on to think through. Um, I think before you, when you were using the seed signer, you selected an action and then the object. And, you know, I proposed, can we put the object first, right? If you think of kind of how your mobile phone interface works today, you would um, select something, an object on your phone. You'd say, here's an email, right? I'm going to select it and I'm going to delete it. You don't say, I'm going to open up the delete function and go find an email to delete, mm -hmm. right? So, um, so change it, you know, that's more of an engineering mindset, but just bringing that perspective, right? I think just makes the whole interface a lot more intuitive for users. Yeah, for sure. I, I, I really. So I, I've used Seedsigner before, but very superficially. And in preparing for this conversation, I haven't been using hardware wallets that much lately, just because I, I have stuff in cold storage already, and I don't want to touch it that much. But I, I'm always excited to try pro the the products and the projects that people are putting out, and I, I really went deep into trying to explore all the parts of the interface, and it was amazing because I felt like. A couple of examples, for instance, the the messages, the um, you call them. Let me see. I have a note here. The privacy leaks and the cl uh, the classified info kind of warnings. They felt very appropriate and popping up at exactly the same the right time and informing you of the risk at exactly the same the the right kind of level of gravity, and also the um, how. How Seed Signer is organizing multiple keys, how it's storing multiple keys, and how it tells my brain that if I'm going to change, a, like select a different key, I'm going to start like managing a different secret. And my my main comparison with Seed Signer would be maybe a gold card, 
but I feel like the cold card is 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 a, a level obviously it's not something you build yourself but I also understand it to be uh, much more like trying to be even more bare bones to be honest I have not uh, tested the the M the mark 4 so I'm still only mark 3 but the fact that it doesn't have color the fact that it doesn't it doesn't have a camera and it tries to remove anything that's unnecessary but then seed signer introduces the camera a little little bit more of a like a jo joystick uh select point and click as a not point and click but it's a little bit of a different way of doing it but it because the the screen is a little bigger and the color it, it enables you to navigate the 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 program in a more familiar way and and i thought that everything that was there was very bitcoin centric and very aware of the problem of managing keys and i felt like it it actually taught me a little bit of here and there of stuff that i wasn't very clear in my mind so there was also a little bit of a educational component to it i thought that was uh, really interesting yeah absolutely you know and i think that's what what captured me by the project and, and i think a lot of people as well and, and especially in context of multi-sig multi-sig was just daunting to me I was using a cold card before I found Seed Signer. That was my main exposure to hardware wallets, and um, you know, like you said, I mean, they're both they're both air gapped, right? I think the difference is you have a secure element on your cold card, and it's storing your private seed on the mm -hmm. cold card. Um, with the Seed Signer, um, you know, you can it's stateless, so there's no key stored on there. It's just in memory, and then it's wiped from memory when it's powered off. So it stores, I think, three keys in memory. So if you have like a two or three multi-sig, you could put all three in there if you really wanted to. I mean, more than likely you've um, got those keys distributed um, geographically. So you've got uh, maybe one at a time before it's powered off, but um, there's a big distinction there. And then I think just, um, you know, it's kind of related to coming in as a designer, especially a, a newer designer to the Bitcoin space. I think Seed Signer did this kind of same thing where he just brought his own lens and, you know, kind of, um, it's kind of changed up the way, at least for me, the way I thought about, about these things. So, you know, traditionally you said, you have a hardware wallet, you have a software wallet. Um, he kind of broke it down in these steps of um, you've got, you know, what you associate with your wallet, uh, software wallet is a wallet coordinator, right? That's the coordinating software um, for your wallet. And then you've got the signing device, which is actually seed signer. And then you've got your private key storage, which is separate, right? So, like you said, you know, so cold card has what micro SD support now NFC support, no camera. Uh, Seed signer is all camera driven, so it's all QR codes. That's how you pretty much do everything. So you have your keys stored offline. Maybe they're words, and you input the words right with the with the Seed signer interface. That's how it started out. And then Keith did all this amazing work um, on the Seed QR format, which was I could actually transcribe those twenty four words in a QR format, just write them down manually, right offline with a Sharpie on a piece of paper or with um, the uh, the seed mint QR plates, you can now just stamp in into steel, a QR, you know, steel plate. Um, and then you can store those offline, right? So that's a kind of great way. Instead of thinking about, you know, the entry to multi-sig is to get, you know, a ton of different hardware wallets um, just to even have some exposure to test net, right? You need like three cold cards or, or pick, pick a hardware device really. Um, you can just have one seed signer for under 50 bucks. You can get on testnet, just create three keys, and then you can transcribe them on paper. So if you want to play around, you don't have to enter those words over and over every time you boot the thing up. 
you just scan the, the paper QR code that you have or the steel QR code. So it really changes, I think, for, for deep storage, you know, for cold storage. Um, I think it really changes the game a lot, at least at least it has for me. Yeah, sure. I think it's it's really important to have like different softwares, different implementations, different hardware, and then also different mental models. Because like you said, I everybody has different priorities and different ways of understanding Bitcoin because it's such an open system and uh, there should be different projects to scratch different kinds of itches. And I imagine that, um, I wonder if if you were motivated at all to to contribute to the project just because you wanted to improve the product for yourself. That's how I, at least every time I contribute to a project, I'm mostly, I'm doing a little, a little bit to to help Bitcoin, a little bit of ego, but also usually the main drive is to actually improve the product for myself so I can also enjoy using the product a little better. And then the opportunity to work on a project on a Bitcoin project just enables you to to deep dive into the Bitcoin experience and really learn what's lacking and what's not and improve it. And the act of designing also makes you kind of process everything and then write it down, plan it and implement it. So I it's it's amazing. It's it's actually something I, I feel I feel kind of dumb because I, I should have tested more uh, in the past and now going back i am starting to and even just talking to you and having you explain how you entered it it's it's something that's really novel uh i think in terms of approach to keys and key management and signing uh, yeah absolutely it is very novel and i mean you know i could identify with you i mean i i hadn't built uh, my own seed signer um until after his demo at bitcoin 2021 so i've been following the project but admittedly hadn't actually built it myself so it took me a while to get in i think mostly i was intimidated by multi-sig so um you know that's like you said earlier you know it really i guess for me i i got involved because i was thinking this is a unique challenge you know solid constraints kind of kind of can produce really good design right so just wow a 1.3 inch screen with 240 by 240 resolution i haven't designed that's like designing for an old ipod or something you know a little higher res but it's like how can you you know can it be done could something modern be on here and then and then secondly yeah would it wouldn't it be great if this got some traction and and i i could have a you know more beautiful experience you know more beautiful interface for my own use um because there's so much potential here but then furthermore you know from there like the whole community it would capture you know people's imaginations hopefully right it'll bring more people into the project help seed signer grow and then help the whole storage and the, and the bitcoin space grow from there so um yeah and the ethos of um creating something from scratch with uh off the shelf software or sorry hardware rather and particularly the um, the raspberry pi even though currently it feels like there's a little bit of a shortage i wonder if if uh, Bitcoin projects are are responsible for the this kind of shortage that there is on Raspberry Pis, but it's such a the Raspberry Pi is such a versatile device, and this Raspberry Pi Zero, it's it's amazing because it's like such a powerful computer in uh, in the palm of your hand. It it enables you to to create such a powerful cryptographic device with stuff with just like slapping two or three pieces together. It's. <laughs> It's something that it, it, I'm still wrapping my head around that. The fact that I can go in, into a store and order uh, an enclosure 
from someone that prints it or printed myself and have hardware wallet in my hands in like three minutes. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. It's crazy. Um, you know, and there's a lot of opportunity just like to learn multi-sig to learn, you know, rethinking the ways you think about storage, right. That it doesn't necessarily have to be a key on a secure element that your keys can actually be separate from your device. Um, you could think about just the learning experience of, of the tinkering with hardware. I mean, it's this project, the seed signer project is, just a few components, right? For under 50 bucks. It's like a camera, Pi Zero, um, the the WaveShare kind of hat, right? That has a joystick and three buttons. And then that enclosure, you know, SD card. So, um, but, you know, in, in putting together the, pro, you know, the, the components, you've got kind of um, on the Pi Zero, the, the pins don't usually come soldered, right? So the GPIO pins, that kind of 40 pin connector, it doesn't come pre-soldered generally. And so you're kind of faced with this thing, you know, do I learn to solder or relearn in my case, you know, it's been like 20 years since I'd done any soldering. And uh, there's a, a solderless hammer that you can kind of use just to tap it in. And that's so seamless and easy. Like I did that with the second one and it made my life so much easier. But for the first one, I thought, you know, this will force me to learn soldering again. Right. And so um, I got a soldering iron and I just did the thing and, you know, it was really cool. So there's a lot of, you know, just like all things, Bitcoin, just so much room for growth. And I think you, you see that reflected with the hardware, you see it with the software, right? And just the, the entire experience. Yeah, I wonder, I, I think I'm already learning a little bit with you. Uh, the solderless hammer, I wonder, like the, the one I, I, I bought a new one to, to build it myself recently and uh, it came with uh, the pins separated. But it was uh, actually a pin type, like the row of pins that I never seen that had a little ring on one of the the ends. Like each pin had a little, it opened up and then closed again. And I was using that. And I, I tried not to use it with uh, no no solder at all. And I I connected the, the hat to the boards. And sometimes it worked and sometimes it didn't. I, I was a little confused. It turns out that the connection was... The, the were the all the pins were some like they were not properly connected so i had to solder them in but now i have to go back and look and see if these special pins were actually designed to to be able to to maybe hammer them in or something so you don't need any soldering but i, I do i i like soldering it makes me feel a little bit more like hacky and and i know it's like it's probably the most basic action you can do in the hardware world but it kind of I like heating up the solder and attaching the components and it makes me feel more connected and it gives me a little bit of a authorship into the hardware itself. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, there's a little bit of a craft element there, right? Like you get, um, if you have a design background and you had to take a lot of art classes or design craft classes, right? Drafting and stuff. It's got a little bit of that going on. Um, it's kind of meditating, right? Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, if you're having issues with it, so like I'm no I'm no expert in the hardware space. Um, no, no, it's fixed. It was just stupid. It was just stupid of me. I I thought I, that those special pins would uh, enable contact, and it didn't. Then when I when I tightened the the screws that connect the um, the the two boards, uh, they a couple of pins probably didn't have full contact, so the the hardware just didn't understand what was happening, and the, I couldn't get the the software to load up or at least to show on screen it's it's done it's fixed it was my problem okay but nice but you mentioned something interesting so i imagine that uh so i i went to i also went to art school for my design 
education, my academic education was my course was called communication design. It was very broad and I had to do a lot of uh, like get my hands dirty, so to speak. It was not just sitting in front of a computer designing neat things. There was a big print component. There was a big uh, a drawing and um, even uh, more like um, what do you call wood cutting and other techniques. And now I see I, I went through my fiat career. I've worked for a lot of different projects. And now that I've kind of transitioned fully into Bitcoin, uh, I'm really excited to finally be, be able to, now that I'm a little bit more free in the projects that I can work on, the projects I choose to work on, I can use all the skills that I've learned that were not being applied in my kind of fiat jobs. And I'm, I was wondering if, did you have a, and not to dox yourself, I don't, I'm not asking you to tell me where you studied, but I'm a little bit curious to understand if you had any kind of frustrations with your previous career working for projects that were not Bitcoin related and now working for Bitcoin projects, if, if you feel like there's a little bit of more alignment ideologically or if, if something helps you get more joy out of your work. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, yeah, I mean, I, for design background, I mean, I, I came from probably a similar program to you. It's more kind of more holistic, more hands-on, a lot of print, right? Um, a lot of 3D um, work. Um, so yeah, I mean, so I was always, I'm, I've always been fascinated by just cutting edge technology for unique problems for kind of bespoke design solutions. Um, and that's what's so cool about Bitcoin, right? Um, there's just so many facets to it. There's so many different skills and it's just endless. So you can really kind of exercise like a lot of these forgotten skills um, that you probably have that I certainly have um, kind of coming back. And, you know, so let's, you know, so having worked in kind of legacy finance, I think that really highlights the disparity between, you know, kind of the existing financial system and, and the Bitcoin system, um, even just in terms of digital product design in that space, um, it's very limiting, right? It's very rigid. So you see in, in legacy finance, um, you know, there's just, uh, I mean, where, where to start? I mean, you know, you if you've ever, if you have a bank account and you download the mobile app, it's a disaster. I mean, you've probably got one or two that are tolerable, that are, you know, semi-decent, but um, almost universally, it's just, a, it's a complete mess. Um, and then, you know, there are really good people in those companies. I think that doesn't get mentioned enough. I mean, there's some of the, some of the coolest, best, smartest people with previous careers and previous backgrounds in legacy finance. And like, for example, the, the banking system, and they're doing great design work and great development work, but they're really kind of uh, hand tied by uh, the business, right? You know, so you've got, if you're, you know, in, in terms of design thinking, you generally think through what's what's a problem, right? What's the problem? What's the what's a potential solution? How does that solution affect the customer, and how does it affect the business? And you have to think about both, right? And um, I think what's pretty cool about Bitcoin is it it sways pretty far in the the direction of the customer, or at least it it should, and I guess we hope it does, right? And not so much any business or or um, yeah, or or necessarily a product, but um, in legacy finance, it's just very much tilted towards the business, of course, right? So, um, so it's very difficult to push good solutions through and to get them built properly. Yeah, for sure. I, 
I obviously still use uh, legacy finance apps and I, I've been moving around a lot lately. So I've been actually, I've, I've lived in the US for a long time now in, in Europe and the transition from all those banking apps and um, financial apps I used in the US now moving back to, to Europe and touching on that world. It's actually very different everything is everything is done in a different way the mental models are different there's no universal basis to to kind of understand i almost have to relearn a little bit of the tropes of where what the balance is what credit means in different contexts and and i always get the feeling like i see the iteration of these banking apps and they feel like they're hiding and abstracting more and more they're trying to they're trying to hide what's happening on the background. They're, they're just trying to give me a balance and a little bit of historical transaction stuff. But even there, they don't make it easy for me to find the transaction. They only expose a certain level of transactions. And I feel like, are they hiding something from me? Like, is this intentionally made to make me spend more money? Or like with, with credits... With credit card in America, I always had a feeling like this could be. I need a, I need a UI that actually tells me how much I'm paying in interest and how much is my, my payment due. And everything was designed on the opposite direction. It was obfuscation almost. And coming into Bitcoin, and working with the people that are building the products, it's the the complete opposite. Is we need to make this super clear. The responsibility is on the user, and lost funds are lost funds and just understanding this difference made me so much more excited to work on these on these apps and also yeah i i agree with you that there's so much brain power working for that and i almost feel kind of cheating when when i i front run all that design knowledge and and it's like jumping ahead and working on these projects that there are in need of design work but all the great designers of the world are still stuck on design wanting to design the the legacy like jp morgan app where we are designing these these experiences that maybe don't have the the mass adoption yet but i think they're way more interesting to work on that's a great insight. Yeah, you you almost have like all these pain points that, that you're mentioning in legacy finance with like a banking app, you have almost the polar opposite, right, problem in the Bitcoin space. Like people want to show you everything, like you said. Um, and I think, you know, more design thinking needs to be done on, on how you pare that down. Um, for example, Sparrow Wallet, you know, Craig Raw's work on Sparrow Wallet, and I listened to your previous episode with him, but he's clearly done so much design thinking and has so much rationale behind his design decisions. And then he's got the technical skill to actually build it, right? And I think when you look at, say, in legacy finance, um, good solutions are proposed, like, hey, my recent transactions, why can I only view 20 recent transactions? And I, <laughs> I know this from personal experience. Um, why can't we show more information, like show the difference between posted and, and pending? Why can't we show more than 20 transactions? Almost all of this is a limitation of the kind of legacy architecture. So like the banks, they don't want to, they don't want to do all the infrastructure work, right? They don't want to renovate all the pipes, so to speak, right? And just rip the whole thing open and really fix it, 
you're like, why does the navigation not even work? Like reading through app store comments and different apps, like how come I can't go back? How come it loses my state, right? I lose all my information if I try to go back, right? These are just technical limitations. Um, and so it's almost impossible actually to build a, a solid, you know, or like a net new design solution. And, and also there's just this kind of like fiat mindset, I think, with leaders in, in banking, you know, I mean, to be fair, people need, you know, people need income, right? They need a reliable salary and they need health benefits. And so you can't really um, be upset at people for working in these companies. But I think the problem really, and you see this everywhere, I mean, I, I'm always talking about this, just leadership in general, but especially in, in banking is just really lacking. So new leaders come through every six months, every year, every two years. So it's constantly a big shuffle for everybody doing real work and they want to see quick results, right? They want to see like a new candy coating on top of the interface. Let's put some new visual design on and let's not actually fix any underlying issues, right? So um, in contrast to, to Bitcoin, where it's like, you have an idea, you can just build it and things aren't really set yet. And I think seed signers is really a testament to this of, of him coming in and saying, why don't we think about storage a little bit differently, right? Maybe some of the terms have, have been you know used before, but we can kind of separate the steps in this process and maybe even build a, an all new hardware and software solution, right? That, that operates differently. So that's so much harder to do. And I guess one more point on that, like what you mentioned, the difference between Europe and the US, I mean, um, I've done a lot of kind of competitive analysis, right? For, for design leaders and in banking around um, what, what's cutting edge, you know? And you see, I think you get like M1 and Revolut or like some of these more European uh, FinTech companies, right? And they're really thinking about how can we, you know, just start from scratch as far as the interface itself. But I think they'll always be a little bit bottlenecked by, you know, just uh, um, the underlying technology, right? Like if you have to operate on, you know, ACH or whatever, right? So, um, so that's always gonna be a limitation. That I think the shining example, and it's kind of a crossover app really when you think about it is Cash App. Um, and I'm always referencing Cash App for the patterns they use, for the way they think about the flows, navigation. It's just such a simple app to use and it can kind of do both, right? The legacy stuff and the Bitcoin stuff. So I think, um, I think that's the trend. And I, I already see, you know, a lot of like the, the legacy finance apps moving towards apps like Revolut or, or Cash App, right? And they'll continue to do so. They'll never be able to kind of match them unless they, you know, do the hard work underneath, you know? I mean, you, you say it's uh, technical debt and uh, technical limitations, the primary reasons why maybe they don't innovate or maybe they don't improve on the experience that much. But I, I actually I'm a little more skeptical, I guess, or not as nice, but I actually think it goes against their business model. They need I think the their experience needs to be obfuscated intentionally to make you it's designed to make you spend the money. It's not like everything in Bitcoin is to secure your money because it's your money and you choose to run that experience and you can move. I can move, I can store Bitcoin and I create a, can create a seed with seed signer and move Bitcoin over there, but I can just take the decision and move it elsewhere without nobody stopping me. So I, I imagine that when you're designing that experience, you have that in mind that nobody, nobody's telling me that I need to use this for the legacy banking system. I have maybe a choice of five, six banks and five apps. But with Seed Signer, I can actually, if I have the skills, I can take the code and change all your design, change all your uh, the engineering, create my own, change the hardware even. And 
it's it's open so you you have to respect the user a lot more with the with the legacy finance there's an understanding that the 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 customer is already captured there's no it's not like they're they have their debt with us they have their their funds with us we can even prevent them from withdrawing too much at the same time this and just that like imagining i imagine sometimes i imagine the what it is for a designer working for something like alipay and having to have on uh, on their design application having to design the screen for your funds have been confiscated or something like just having to mock that up and feeling like oh i'm i'm being part of the process of blocking people to, from accessing their money it's 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 probably i don't know if they they cross their mind but they're actually working on a product that's going to make people cry on the other end it's and i think on the bitcoin side it's the opposite you want to avoid avoid at all costs the the customer having a bad experience the customer now the user having a bad experience because the, there is a possibility of loss of funds but it's from error it's not intentional at least i i would hope so there might be some some backdoor some uh some trojan or some malware inside of seed signer i didn't run through the whole code but there's a little bit of an element of trust but I I trust that this is the device that you are using for your Bitcoin and that that seed signer the the guy is using for his Bitcoin. So if there's malicious intent there, we're all screwed. In the banking mm -hmm. system, I know that someone is in control. I'm not in control. Someone else is in control, and at any time they can block me out of my funds. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I guess I guess there is a risk, you know, for a for a bank of losing customers to one of the several other banks, right? Like, oh, the the way they've handled my mortgage or the interface is just so bad even, right? Like there are people like that, like the app is just so bad. I can't use the app. I'm going to move to another bank just because of that or, the, you know, the service or because one of the banks ripped off a bunch of customers and opened accounts in their name, right? So there is like reputational damage there, but I, obviously they can absorb a lot more of that damage uh, before there's any real, real issue. And then in the Bitcoin space, a project like Seed Signer, you know, there is a reputation there. In Seed Signer, the guy is, is uh you know very very uh receptive very vocal um and the community is just incredible you know so you know and like you said you can kind of trust that other people are using this maybe i should check it out and you know obviously you, you experiment with testnet or something first right so um you kind of get used to it get comfortable with it but but like you said you know i guess you a bank can lose your money and that could be a serious problem but in bitcoin if you know if you lose your money that's on you right so um yeah 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 it's um it's a very different approach and i i tend to like it and you mentioned something i i actually am very opposed to testing on testnet i don't like testnet at all mostly because because the bit the testnet bitcoin is somewhat worthless uh i feel like every time i test i i always set aside a little bit of bitcoin and i say this is going to be the price of this lesson and unfortunately i have to teach myself or i'll just follow some some tutorial but this is the price i'm ready to lose this and but one thing i i i really like about seed signer and now with this uh, seed tool that uh, bitcoin q and i created and there's a couple of other websites that you can even like have maybe six tabs open with these tool creations and a couple of maybe even on your phone and go through entropy input to entropy 
and just make sure that everybody's creating the same seeds. And that gives me a lot of trust in in the system because if you can generate really fast, you can change the the entropy and see how everything is synced. They all generate the same seeds and you can very clearly validate that everything is following the same protocol and it's going to create the same valid seed words. And then after a while you test it and my process is uh, after doing this test a little bit, then I go in and I put a little bit of Bitcoin there. But yeah, I don't know. I don't I don't love testnet that much. Uh, I don't even know if it's that easy nowadays to get testnet coins. Um, I know that a, a couple of places used to, to have faucets, but then they stopped working. Um, but yeah, um, mm -hmm. I was... Um, setting up um, this this iteration when I of the seed signer, I was very very pleased uh, pleased with all the the testing, even for the hardware to immediately do uh, the I/O test to make sure that the the camera is working and uh, it's reading the the QR codes correctly. I think it's it's clearly it was clearly developed by Bitcoiners. In a way, it's it's very clear that this is Bitcoin specific software, and it's it's another thing that uh, kind of counters with the legacy finance. It's you know it's legacy finance, but everything is kind of different, and it doesn't really. It's too broad. Uh, it it it's an app that's trying to 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 be used by too many people with different backgrounds, and. I don't know different needs, uh, but with Bitcoin, you all we all need the same thing. We just need to sign transactions or to store uh, to validate seed words or uh, private keys to make us sleep well at night. And that's the the one thing that I think we're trying to solve with this with all this software and all this hardware is to to get us to be more confident about our storage. And because that's such a, a raw and basic need. It's much easier to to create a um, like a satisfactory flow because it's it's the same for everybody. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you know you, you hear seed signers say this all the time that you know if, that if you get people more comfortable with their storage solution, right, then it strengthens everyone's hands, right, and it, and it strengthens Bitcoin. I think that's really true. You know, um, so the more solutions we have. The more unique approaches, the more options, the more affordable options, right? Um, yeah, I think this the stronger we all get, right? Um, and you know what's really cool about Seed Signer is it it does so much. I mean, ultimately, it's just um, you know storage solution, right? It's for for creating keys, for um, for storing them, and then and then um, initiating transactions. But you have kind of it's almost a Swiss Army knife of other things. Um, you have it does so much, you know. Um, like Keith contributed to uh, so many of these features I mentioned, I think earlier, the, the seed QR format, right? That you can kind of store your seed in a QR rather than 24 words. Um, but, you know, he also has a, a new, another um, entropy from, from a photo, from image. So that camera can actually take a photo um, and then it adds a bunch of entropy um, and then you can generate a key from that. So that's a really cool way to spin up 
some keys, right? If you want to test either on testnet or like you said, if you just want to burn some coin to, to try something out, you can just really quickly create three unique keys. Um, and then there's dice roll functionality, right? That you can um, verify yourself, I think uses Ian Coleman's method. And, um, and it just does so much, you know, in that way. So um, yeah, I just can't talk enough about it, I guess it's pretty cool. Yeah. I love I love to see how different projects just absorb other different projects like for instance I'm I'm really happy that for instance mempool just uh, uh, implemented that uh, visualization I I, sh uh, I should know who who made it but I don't the the little blocks that are being formed and the the, the visualization of the mempool uh, it, it was just implemented and added to the to the mempool.space project and this was a separate website in a way it was almost like a competitor but then because we're all we're all fighting for the same objective i don't everybody in the end wants their project to be added to the bigger project just because it's so helpful and there's a there's a little bit of um like you said the reputation i think in bitcoin all you have is reputation it doesn't who can, i don't nobody cares how much bitcoin you have nobody cares how much um money you have fiat money if it's it's all about your contributions to bitcoin and your reputation if you have been scamming people or not been scamming people and every time like every time i make a contribution to a product to a project and it gets upset, accepted and it gets merged i always feel so really happy I like I, i'm always feeling like i'm i'm carving my my way into the the history of bitcoin somehow and i feel like 50 years from now i'm going to go back into my into my GitHub and go through the history and feel so proud about the contributions, even if they're really small. It's it's something that really feels like I'm part of history because it's there's so much low hanging fruit, and like you said, there's so many great designers in the world that are not even aware of Bitcoin that uh, we have a little bit of an advantage for working in these projects because they just basically other people are just sleeping on this. I think. Yeah, absolutely. And it's a shame that I th it seems like so much design talent is in the shitcoin space, you know, like um, you see it with like Ethereum projects for years and years, right? Like just so much design and engineering talent is in those those types of projects. And it's a real shame. So I hope more people come around to just how much potential Bitcoin has, how much how large the design space is right um, to work within and uh, to really bring, you know, there's just there's so much uh, that's needed in terms of design you know, um, and design thinking, um, you know, I, yeah, there's, there's, there's a whole ton, you know, like we need, you know, better content strategy, more user research, you know, like this whole thing. And that's, I think what seed signer highlighted for me is I was like, what's a hardware wallet. What's a software wallet. I just have a hardware wallet. It stores my keys, but it's unclear to me, like where the, the keys are and where the, you know, where the wallet is. Um, this whole idea of like content strategy that he says, you know, there's a, a wallet coordinator, there's a signing device, there's a, there's your, your private key storage um, that, you know, it really highlights like a, a content strategy problem, right? Like we need more people that are savvy with content strategy to, to clarify terminology and get rid of, you know, at least some of this jargon. So um, I see the, the Bitcoin design community doing a lot of that um, and having a really unique perspective there, but obvi obviously that has to be informed by, you know, user research. So more of that needs to be done for sure. Um, you know, there's, I've seen, you know, some really interesting user research. Um, 
there's a, a Patricia, is it Estevão? Um, Estevão. Uh, Estevão. Okay. Estevão. Yes. Estevão. Okay, my bad. No, <laughs> um, no, it's a really hard, really hard to pronounce. I can, okay. I can pronounce it because I speak Portuguese. Oh, there you go. See, um, I definitely don't, as you can tell. Um, but she, yeah, so you're familiar with her work, right? So she got a spiral grant. And she did some really insightful user research. So it was like problems, goals, pain points of, of users. And it was 21 users from around the world and varying technical levels. So that's the kind of stuff I would love to see more. I mean, I extracted a lot of insights there and shared them with, with Seed Signer and Keith and Nick when we were going through this, like what, eight or 10 month redesign process for the UI. Um, so I'd love to have more data like that, more like real user researchers um, doing this work. Um, you know, in the fiat world, generally you're on a team, you have like a dedicated user researcher, like you need to have some experience as a product designer in that space, but you usually have a dedicated resource to kind of work with who can just focus on, you know, interviews, surveys, prototypes and all that. So would love to see more of that to inform kind of these, these design decisions that we're all making across projects right now. Um, and then just data in general, right? Like data driven decisions. Um, I think it still seems to me um, you know, and, I, and I'm relatively new to the space, right? But it seems to me a lot of design decisions are being made based on kind of personal preference, right? And that the really outspoken decisions tend to win over, right? So whoever is the loudest in the community, we need to use this word, we need to use this pattern, whatever, um, tends to win out. And people just kind of go, okay, th those people were louder, we're going to go with that for now. And then probably the argument comes back up later, right? Um, but, you know, having more quantitative data, you know, so that people can make you know, really informed decisions on users' behalf, I think is important. And it kind of highlights, I've thought a lot about this actually, like how could we get more quant data for seed signer um, because it's so privacy focused, right? You build the hardware yourself, it's always offline. There's never any connection to the internet, right? So you can't really uh, anonymize, you know, the user data and send it back to the, you know, the web and figure out like what flows are working for people? Where are they having issues? Like how much time on task and all these kind of metrics and KPIs. Right, like you can't really track that, um, and so it makes all the data we can gather a lot more qualitative. And it's just like asking the community, "Hey, where's your pain points? How could this be different? You know, what do you think here? Like, should we call this button on the home screen keys or seeds?" And you know, Seed Signer and I got into a little trouble, I think, uh, doing that early on, uh, putting up like a you know a visual comp and saying uh, seeds or keys and, you know, all these types of words. And obviously there's a lot of baggage, a lot of opinions there. So even what the qualitative data you get, and you could try to quanti you know, quantify it with a poll or something, but ultimately it's really, people are going to be more outspoken in one direction or another. And the others, right? Like the, the other comments, like right in the comments, what you think, there's like a million other options you didn't think of. So, um, ultimately I think if we can really solve this problem of like more research, more data, um, in a privacy focused way. Um, I'm not a product manager, right? So that's not my expertise, my area of expertise, but I would love for somebody to really um, think about how we could do that. Yeah, for sure. I think, I think that's exactly, you touched on so many interesting points. Um, you were mentioning that and I was like, yeah, you're never gonna, <laughs> you're never gonna get any data from me because obviously the, the, the devices are air gapped and my, I, I would hope I would never have a device that touches Bitcoin that's actually sending data to a server. And I think that's pretty common on Bitcoin not to, to have that at all. But like you said, I think there's a lot of people, I think um, I think what we need is the, the exactly like the work Patricia is doing, like one-on-one, on one, 
almost maybe even in person bringing um, a couple of seed signers or devices or even testing uh, applications and writing notes and seeing what how people use it like my contributions to bisc i use my family to test them i i tell them okay uh, can you help me forget about bitcoin do this for me uh do this do this test and i'm gonna just sit behind you and you're gonna tell me what you're what you're thinking and i see where they misunderstand stuff i see where they misread or ignore information that's um useful or important and I'm hoping that, for instance, the, the Bitcoin design community um, is really focused on this and thinking about these problems uh, all the time. Now it's also a, a matter of making that information available to all the designers. And obviously there's going to be disagreements and the seed signer market is pretty much worldwide. Anywhere you can receive an internet connection and a, a Raspberry Pi, you can use that. And people bring, like you said, there's so much baggage coming from their the the legacy finance. Like I, I never really explored the Asian market that much, but I, I would be really curious to see how they interact with financial applications. And I imagine that their tropes are completely different from ours, and all their their not accumulated knowledge throughout the years is gonna require a super different experience, or maybe. Maybe not very different, but there's probably insight there because they come from such a different background with their um, money management. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a really good point, because I was just going to mention like trying to unify a lot of the, the UI design, right? And just this UX in general, like what are the patterns? What are the mental models? And you're probably familiar with Jacob's Law, right? Which is a UX design law that's always referenced is uh, users spend most of their time on other sites or apps. So make your UX work the same as the other sites or apps, right? Mm -hmm. um, that they already know. So it's like whatever pattern you're used to and say, you know, it's, it's amazing that Bitcoin, we can rethink kind of everything from scratch. But at the same time, if you're going to get, you know, just pick a family member or whatever, right? You know, you're going to get some boomer to, to use Bitcoin. It really is helpful to leverage that existing mental model that they're used to with all their other finance. Right. So um, so it's like, yeah, how much can we do? Do we really need to do brand new? How much can we actually leverage that might actually be good, you know, from the existing space? And and, you know, to your point, like, yeah, across cultures, you know, might actually be a totally different mental model. Right. So a lot harder to apply. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I've, I've I've done some research also uh, trying to do some competitive analysis, not so much on the finance, but on some other applications and I was researching the Chinese markets and I I was so confused. Obviously the language barrier is gigantic, but just the amount of information that's provided to the user, it's uh, compared to, and I don't know if it's a design problem or a cultural problem, but it's it's just so different. And, but I, I totally agree with you that we should use the stuff that already works and maybe, so there's, I'm of two thoughts. I think there's an approach to the hardcore Bitcoiners that just have completely cut their ties with the legacy finance and with the fiat mindset and want something that's like um, terminal. They just want to type in command line. And then there's, on the other side, there's the, the noob that's excited about trying Bitcoin, but doesn't, that it's, is worried and is um, 
kind of just dipping their toes and they need a, an experience that's very much connected to their current experience because that's the experience they know and it's also somewhat working for them we don't need to we don't need to reinvent the wheel for someone that's just trying some stuff out if if we're reinventing the wheel we're going to lose that user in the first five minutes because everybody has busy lives nobody's going to sit down for five hours and test hardware and software like some crazy bitcoiners do yeah yeah exactly right early adopters right you got you got to expect that most people in bitcoin right now since we're so early are still so technical and you know that's what made me start contributing to the space i'm going you know i probably and even being a little bit newer than most people might actually give a more unique or a fresher perspective right not having as much of the baggage right of of as many previous cycles um yeah i think and you know I, it makes me think of and i've heard seed signer the person you know equate um kind of the seed signer project to a lot of diy node work right because it's a diy signing device you got diy nodes which have just exploded in recent history right and you have i think pretty strong opinions where you have a lot of the really technical people saying it should still be command line or it, you know whatever doesn't need to be all glossy and pretty um you've got things in the middle and then you've got like on the the other far end uh, projects like umbral right which um are just very focused on the ux and especially you know the ui in general and so I think it's, un, you know, you, you cannot argue um, that Umbral hasn't brought in a ton of people into to owning and operating a node, right? To like make that jump. Oh, I can just put these few components together. Um, I can install the operating system on an SD card. I can put it in and, and the thing will just work. Like there is a, obviously a, a, a a level of handholding and a level, uh, you know, ideal kind of level of expertise that you need. Um, to be able to to get into this node space like it helped me to have things be a little more like uh um just out of the box right um and and you see the same thing with seed signer i mean that was why i wanted to get involved i thought okay people can build this and there's no way getting around i mean you can order one pre-built for sure if, if that's an obstacle for you um and then but the the software interface if it's like if it's janky if it's just difficult if it's too technical right if it's too dos like or command line like um, people are going to be a lot less likely to use it. But if the software interface is a lot more attractive and a lot more intuitive and it leverages your existing mental model, right, from how, for example, a mobile app would work, um, then you're much more likely to see people starting to get um, into more advanced storage solutions and ultimately strengthening Bitcoin for all of us. Yeah, for sure. I think it's all about stages. Uh, I think we all go through the stages and hopefully we get users to jump not jump i think we all have to go through the stages um and but hopefully we just invite people to to go deeper so for instance if if seed signer didn't have such a such a nice nicely designed ui um the this idea of bitcoiners shadowy super coders uh darknet uh back alley drug deal once you add this layer of design thinking, but also the, the layer of just nice brand design, it kind of dispels that and it breaks that. Like Seed Signer has a very friendly approach and it's very hard to, for me to to try to to keep someone away from using Seed Signer and say, hey, this is to sign uh, drug deal transactions. Well, 
it kind of it's branded in the opposite way it's branded in a in a very approachable easy to use for everybody so yes maybe it's used by drug dealers maybe it's used by kids maybe it's used by DIY uh, enthusiasts it's we need that layer of of design on top of complex and like hyper secure software to dispel that and to get people to actually start learning and it's like you said it's it's like education is so important and for me bitcoin is rather simple but it breaks so many of our mental models in everything and until we we understand it not completely but at a deeper level people will not use it because uh, i think you need to understand the the technology of bitcoin to understand what bitcoin offers until you understand that the seed is the secret and as long as you keep that secure there's the mathematics behind it make it secure until you you kind of believe that you won't trust bitcoin but to believe that you need to test it and you actually need to to do a little bit of work to understand even the code i think people should actually read the code of bitcoin the first the first couple of implementations that are more simple that don't have all the additions because it's it's like the dna and it's it's legible it, and it was only when i started doing a little bit of the code reading that i i understood that i could trust bitcoin completely with uh, with my savings because it's there it's all there yeah ab absolutely i couldn't agree more i think that's a great insight that yeah more people should be reading the bitcoin code and the, you know for example the seed signer code right like you can read all of that and be be sure that what you're putting on you know your sd card and loading into the device that is trustworthy and you know but i will say at the same time like there this going back to like this this middle ground in terms of design like i mean i gave a popular hardware uh wallet to a family member who's like a, an engineer at a big tech company and they uh, like their eyes went in the back of their head they're like what you know what i mean they like really cool tech but they're just they're still trying to get a grasp on the fundamentals of bitcoin so like there i think there's this people need to learn we shouldn't have shortcuts we shouldn't just obfuscate all of the technical aspects aspects of what they're actually doing with their private keys with their xpubs with signing transactions but at the same time can we make the interface there more intuitive for people right so that they're not also learning like what's this totally foreign looking device like what we think that's pretty cool right there's nothing like it and, and it gives something tangible um to kind of represent bitcoin but like could that even that physical device or that software interface be a little more um, intuitive and leverage that that existing mental model, right? So that you're learning the terminology, you're learning how Bitcoin actually operates, but the operation of the interface is still intuitive. Yeah, yeah great. And I, I imagine that a lot of people still look at uh, signing devices in hardware wallets and think it's like a, like a some kind of Tomagoshi device or something. And they, they don't even, they don't even understand what it's what purpose it serves let alone what how it can help their own uh experience in bitcoin yeah, that's true it's like a tamagotchi i showed i showed my parents uh they were visiting and i said check out this cool project i'm working on and i showed them a 3d printed you know bright orange enclosure that uh seed signer had sent me 
full of hard and they're like that's cool like you know just totally you know just totally don't get it but they thought that's cute right like you got a little tinkering project you got going right not that you're like storing your life savings on this thing yeah <laughs> yeah so i in the in the in the podcast i always like to ask uh, i don't know if it's if it's um it's a well-known i actually i i don't know very much well um how the the project is funded and how if are you working on other projects or you you find you have the ability to work full-time on seed signer and you can monetize that work or is it still kind of on a voluntary basis i know that seed signer has some um some partnership with um with hrf but maybe you could talk a little bit whatever insight you can give us to how the project will be monetized to to be able to keep moving forward given that the the software is free and you don't need i bought all i bought all my seed signer signing all my seed signer stuff was bought from other websites the only thing i did on the seed signer website was follow the links to other people's stores and download the firmware and i'm curious to if if there's some kind of business business model because ultimately for this project to succeed long term we would want this project to keep evolving but we know that everybody needs to also pay their bills and you guys also eat so can you tell us a little bit about how how it works in terms of monetization sure so um So seed signer is free and open source, right? Everything's free for people to, to replicate and sell themselves on other stores. I think in terms of selling the hardware, seed signer operates his own site and you can find it at seedsigner.com. Um, and that, um, that goes towards funding the project, right? So any profits that are made there, there's maybe a, a slight increase and you're supporting the project directly by buying through there. Also with the supply chain issues, that might be one of the only places you might still be able to find one. I mean, don't quote me on that, but um, it's pretty hard to find a, a Raspberry Pi Zero right now. Um, and then um, beyond that, like you said, HRF has has um, donated a generous grant to the Seed Signer Project and the community also has been very, um, very helpful in that way, to my understanding. Um, and so um, I believe, you know, it's all volunteers as far as Seed Signer, Uh, Nick, myself, and then Keith. And I think Keith has been fortunate to get um, donations from the community to actually be able to work on the project full time for a period. And that, that's what got us to the finish line with the, the UI redesign. So without Keith and, and his uh, just insane amount of effort that he put into the, the, the redesign, um, it really wouldn't happen. I donated all my time. You know, I'm just happy to work on it. I have a fiat job still. So I do it all in my free time. Um, And then, you know, I think, I think Keith's, uh, the donations have run out for him to work on it full time. So he's still really um, rapidly kind of working on the project and iterating, adding an address explorer, which is really cool. Um, so might be some really cool, you know, new use cases for how you use an address explorer on, uh, on seed signer offline. Um, and then also working on translation, right? So right now he's doing um, spearheading the whole localization effort. And so that's obviously a huge challenge. How do you get the seed signer UI translated into tons of different um, languages? Um, so ultimately, you know, I think you can find seedsigner.com um, or at seedsigner on Twitter, um, reach out to him and, and you can donate to the project and to the, the project fund. Um, I'm sure they'd really appreciate that. Yeah, cool. And thank you so much for donating your time. It's, it's amazing. It's hopefully 
I, I feel like every every single contribution I've made on Bitcoin projects, even if it was uh, also volunteering my time, it always comes back a couple of years later and it pays off because it 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 also established your own reputation and maybe at some point hopefully seed signer can gather more funds and pe more people donated donating to it that maybe one day you can find yourself actually being paid for that work and uh, maybe bringing on more designers and more design thinking and yeah just keep building and one one last question from a very practical standpoint because it's interesting you keep referencing the side of the, the size of the screen and the the bitcoin component to this and i'm curious is this do you use a specific software to 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 mock up your designer designs and uh, produce prototypes to test yeah actually so i mean I've, I've used tons of different software over my career but currently figma so mm -hmm. i did all the work the original prototype was done in figma right just a little clickable prototype and then all of the the redesign effort once that became a thing once we were committed to doing that and they generously kind of brought me on to to help with that um yeah that was all done in figma so i did some prototypes to be able to, to you know quickly iterate on like how would this flow look if we could just rework it right i mean keith and nick um are so fast right they're such great coders i mean keith was able to kind of rework things and show me in real time almost almost faster than i could do it in software but ultimately there's certain things you can do in design software a lot more efficiently right so um yeah, I did all that in Figma. Um, we we had some, you know, I'd say there's there's certain things that like other calculations we did, like for that specific display too. I just want to point out because it's such a cool calculation. There was kind of angular resolution, which was totally new to me, and I had to do all this research. I talked to some accessibility experts, like what's the the font size that we could fit on here, right? Like what's the minimum font size? All minimum font size standards, like WCAG stuff, is all web based. So. Um, I know it's a little bit of a tangent, but super cool that oh, because, so super interesting. Yeah, because it's a 1.3 inch screen, you really have to like multiply the distance somebody's sitting from that screen, right, by the the size of the screen to come up with like an optimal font size. So that whole that kind of plays into the whole redesign and the translation efforts, right? Like how how much text can we fit on the screen? How do we translate that to other languages that might be a lot longer? So yeah, ultimately most of it was done in Figma. Um, a little bit of stuff, you know, elsewhere. Are you? I'm curious. Uh, what size were your Figma screens? Were they matching the the pixel size of the of the screen, or did you do uh, double double the size? <laughs> oh yeah, definitely. I mean, my artboards were 240 by 240 pixels, right? Like I had to be be designing for the you know like pixel accurate design. So, um, but yeah, of course, I zoomed in to work on it, and then you'd zoom out to kind of see how it looked. Um, yeah cool and yeah, that's it's amazing uh it's really it's really a pleasure talking to you um thank you so much for the insight and for the work you've done um is anything do you want to um, is there some like if people want to reach out and uh, contribute to the project or uh, if if you're looking for other designers to join in and maybe contribute to other projects obviously they can find you on twitter easy yeah yeah they can find me on twitter at bc1 easy um yeah. and uh i'd actually say you can find me on github at that with the same handle um i worked on a, a seed signer design system so it's a, basically a project on there um that kind of outlines all these design principles design goals components iconography i mean literally everything you'd find in a real design system um but for the seed signer project 
Um, I'd love to have more designers take a look at that and offer feedback or be able to leverage it for other projects. You know, I did a lot of thinking, brought a lot of insights from my fiat job, from, you know, real experts in accessibility and content strategy, um, interaction design, visual design. So um, that seed signer design system on GitHub, I checked that out. And then ultimately, you know, most importantly, go to uh, seedsigner.com and check out at seedsigner on Twitter. Great. Thank you so much and exciting, exciting new world in the in the open source design uh, field. Uh, very excited to see what comes next and how all these projects evolve and how they inspire more people to to build cooler stuff and keep keep on decentralizing and distributing everything. Cool. Thanks so much, Pedro. Thank you.